Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hi everyone and welcome to the next episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Content here at Open Banking Expo, and I'm delighted to be joined by Rob Hale, who is Chief Digital Officer at Regional Australia Bank. And he joins me to discuss where the bank is on its open banking journey, as well as telling us about Australia's consumer data rights and what needs to happen next to ensure the country succeeds in its open data vision. So welcome, Rob. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Ellie. Pleasure to be here. So uh, I want to start by asking if you can explain a little bit more to our listeners about what it is that your role at Regional Australia Bank entails. Certainly, Ellie. Um, yes, so as a as chief digital officer, I, I suspect that means something to most people. We're, uh, in our team, we're responsible for all the technology you'd expect to see in a bank, a retail bank with consumer apps and internet banking portals and all that sort of thing. But I, I think for this um, podcast, your listeners are probably most interested to learn about what we're doing around open banking because that's, that's a, a major component of the work we're currently doing. So we're involved in in publishing information under our open banking regime, but also consuming that information. And that's that's all done as part of our digital team. Great. And uh, I mentioned in the introduction there, uh, CDR, which stands for Consumer Data Rights. Uh, that's something that might not uh, be, you know, our listeners might not be too familiar with. So can you explain what it is and when it came in, please? Mm. So just to go back a little bit. I think it was 2017 when the government commissioned the Treasury review into open banking and and, and that was a consultative process where industry and, and other stakeholders engaged to determine whether that was a good thing and, and if so, how what form it should take. And partway through that consultation process, I think it was towards the end of 2017, it was determined that the scope might be improved if we extended it beyond just financial services, just open banking and broadened it to be an economy-wide piece of legislation. So any any consumer data stored um, within uh, industry verticals, such as uh, telecom or energy utility companies, could be within scope and could be shared by consumers. So that, and and that's where the name came from, the consumer data right, rather than just open banking. But open banking, financial services is the first sector of the economy to which that legislation has been applied. Okay. Um, So can you kind of offer some insight into what the the fintech ecosystem looks like in in Australia at the moment? You know, is it in a good place? Is it sort of a healthy ecosystem, as it were? Yeah, I think I think the the fintech ecosystem in Australia is 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 excellent. It's extremely healthy. Hundreds and hundreds of fintechs uh, are, are active, and the banking system itself is very stable as well. It it um, it sustained um, very strong growth, very strong performance throughout the GFC throughout recent times. Um, so so that that's that's a good combination: a healthy, innovative fintech industry and a healthy banking system. Um, I think what's what's been problematic to date is getting those fintech organisations engaged in open banking and participating in open participating in open banking, whereas the data holders, the banks, that's a mandatory obligation that, that they should be exposed APIs should expose endpoints for for third parties to consume that data upon consumer consent. 
But for fintechs to participate in that regime, they need to achieve a certain level of accreditation. And that's that's been the challenge. That's been the the issue to date is how do we increase participation in that in that ecosystem? Yeah, okay. Uh, so that's interesting. And and so has that prevented in a way banks and the fintechs from from partnering because you know in, in in other regions like the UK for example you know there's been quite a few partnerships that have emerged is that something that's that's not happening in Australia do you, do you see it happening yeah it, it is interesting I mean we were we were the first accredited data recipient and and we actually worked with the consumer regulator the ACCC which was the initial uh, regulatory body charged with with implementing CDR so we worked with them and the major banks to to kind of build out this ecosystem, and that was a, that was a, actually a hoot. It was a, it was a really uh, great project to work on. Everyone was very focused on the outcome. It was all about consumers. There was no politics involved. You know, there was no big bank, little bank stuff going on, and it was it was great. It was really productive, and and that's been I think that set the tone for CDR. It hasn't been a them and us thing. It hasn't been you know, a mandated piece of legislation that everybody must comply with that had no purpose. It, it's been a collaborative body of work that that lots of people have engaged with um, to, to get launched. So, so in terms of early collaboration, that was great. Subsequently, I think we've seen banks now, because banks can become data recipients as well. So they have the option to consume data from other banks um, just uh, whereas fintechs obviously would be consuming only. They have no uh, reciprocal obligation to publish any data. So I don't think there's there's a need for a lot of partnerships in order to uh, build a use case or achieve some product or service. But what we are starting to see is uh, potential for some banks to use aggregators who may may have a consent model or some some piece of technology that could accelerate participation by those banks in the in the consumption part of that. Okay. Um, yeah, I want to come on actually to uh, an article that you wrote quite recently for Open Banking Expo because I think um, in, in that you made some really interesting points about um, Australia's CDR and 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 where it is on its its open banking journey. And I think the kind of the, the main kind of point you were getting across was that sort of implementation of open banking in Australia has been fairly slow with I believe only five banks having published consumer data so far um, so so what's holding up this, this wider adoption can you can you identify that a, a bit more for us yeah you're, you're right there are there are just five banks at the moment although there's a timeline for participation and the first of July is is when things are really going to get interesting because there's a big maybe 50 more banks will come on board um, so that's going to be a busy day it'll be an interesting day um, but yes, so so there's a bit of a chicken and egg issue here around yeah. participation. If if not every bank is participating, then are our fintechs, our data recipients, motivated to offer products and services which not all consumers can take advantage of? So I think that's that's part of this problem. And another part is the accreditation hurdle that those participants need to overcome. Clearly. CDR is is um, can publish data that's very sensitive, private data, not just banking data now in the future as well. So so there is quite rightly 
uh, a pretty significant um, information security capability that participants have to demonstrate. So, so all of that means it's quite hard, quite expensive, quite time consuming for participants to demonstrate their capability. And in the absence of everybody participating and all the data being available, that there's just this moment that we've got to get through in order for people to see the value. And I think part of that equation is also that consumer awareness is relatively low. So people aren't clamoring for use cases. They're not clamoring for banks to share data because they haven't yet recognized the potential that this ecosystem can provide them. Okay. Um, that, that's interesting. You say consumer awareness is is low. Do you, do you think... Um, I guess other regions have found that as well. I mean, I'm sure if you talked about open banking to some people in the UK, they'd sort of look at you a bit quizzically and wonder what it was. Yet, obviously, you know, we're, we're quite far ahead in the UK. So is there a is there a certain level at which you think sort of consumers need to be educated? Is there a certain amount they need to know about open banking? How, how are you going to kind of strike that balance, as it were? Yeah, there was a really good quote from from Paul Franklin of the ACCC here, who who talked about this this issue, and he and he said, um, pe people don't wake up in the morning wanting to use a plumbing system, they they want to have a shower and make a cup of tea, and I think that's that's exactly the science that 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 encapsulates it beautifully, doesn't it? The consumers don't need to understand APIs and endpoints and data holders and data recipients and and registers and you know, all of that stuff, that's all the plumbing, that's all the, uh, that's what enables the services to be delivered. So just as though, it's same in our bank, we don't talk about people applying for a home loan, we, we talk about getting people into their home or helping them buy a car or whatever it might be. So we're very focused on the outcome and I think CDR probably needs to just focus on the outcome. So maybe the consumer awareness campaign, maybe the messaging around it is, not so much, hey, we've got this amazing new ecosystem called the consumer data right and trying to explain how it all works, but just explain that instead of having to attach bank statements to your loan application, you can provide consent for a third party to pull that data from your bank in support of a credit application. And you won't have to do anything else and that'll all just be taken care of and we'll be able to automatically categorize and aggregate your historical spending and determine if you have capacity to service a debt or something like that. So I think focusing on the outcome is the important thing rather than what the technology actually is and how it operates. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and so, you know, so far you've kind of explained that, that the Australian CDR rules, they are evolving. Um, Banking is kind of the only sector that's come on stream to date. There's obviously this kind of 1st of July kind of milestone, I suppose. So how is that rulemaking process going? Are there any learnings so far from, from, from the five banks that, that are on board? Yeah, this, this has been really interesting. I think, I, I don't know how the rulemaking is done elsewhere, but, but initially there's a, a consultation process. So Treasury are now responsible for the rulemaking. And there's a, a, a consultation process where they will propose a set of rules and people are able to comment on those and provide submissions. And then those will be considered and then the rules will be made or the rules will be finalised. And, and I think that's, that's how it's often been done historically. The, the problem with that in, in this fledgling ecosystem is 
often it's only when people start getting into the weeds, into the detail of how, how one might apply those rules or how that might work in practice that, that you start to understand maybe some, some issues with those rules or some refinements that might need to be made or some changes that could be made. So what Treasury have done just recently in the last month is uh, open consultation again on uh, a, a few topics. One of them happens to be joint account sharing. It's a little bit contentious here at the moment. And what they've done is propose some options in a design paper. And they've put that online. They've actually used GitHub. And people can publicly comment on any element of that design paper. And so they can post comments and people can see those opinions and views and respond to them and maybe counter them or support them, whatever whatever they feel. So th I think that's been a really interesting approach and, and I applaud that approach because that's, that's helping accelerate that iterative process of rulemaking rather than the, the one-time issue of a rule and then maybe six months, 12 months later, there's a new version of the rules. We're trying to, we're trying to, get to the heart of any issues early and, and sort of nut them out publicly. And it's very transparent and very open, which is exactly the model we've used for very successfully for the, the technical data standards here in Australia. They were done in the same way using GitHub and largely haven't created too many issues. So we, time will tell whether this is an acceptable way of making legislation, but it's it's uh, breaking new ground here. And I, and I think it's a, th a really good thing. Yeah, yeah, that sounds, yeah, like, as you say, a very transparent process. And um, obviously that, that is to be applauded. And um, so I was just wondering then um, what kind of needs to happen next um, for banks to, to kind of actually embrace open banking? Obviously, you mentioned that, that was it 1st of July date. What, what are you kind of expecting from there? Mm. So there is, a, there is a timeline and with that timeline comes um, a set of obligations and, and we've, we've kind of taken a, a phased approach to implementing data holder obligations. So the major banks went first and then Regional Australia Bank, we went a bit early in November last year and then there's been a bit of a gap until July. So come July, the remaining non-major banks will have to publish a certain set of information and then some more a bit later and some more a bit later. So it's a little bit phased. They can they can uh, go earlier if they wish. So I think really July is all about those additional banks proving that they can publish that information successfully, you know, conform with the specifications, conform with the standards and that data recipients can consume that in the way they would anticipate. So I think it's all about at the moment getting prepared for that that quite large moment when many more banks come on stream and then the ongoing evolution and, and maturity of the services that they publish. So there's lots, there's, there's certainly lots to do there and all the peripheral capabilities of course are emerging at the same time. So we, we've got rules around uh, aggregators becoming accredited so they can offer part of that service. We've got organizations now appearing such as Biza Visa.io, who offer data holder services. So banks could integrate with a third party such as them, and then they could manage those public endpoints on behalf of that bank. So we're starting to see these, these peripheral um, businesses and commercial activities, um, which, which of course is 
the very nature of an ecosystem. That's that's what you would expect to see. Yeah, absolutely. And and I wanted to come back to the kind of consumer in all of this. Obviously, we touched earlier on um, how much they need to know about CDR and open banking. But I wondered more generally, you mentioned when you were talking about um, the joint account sharing, that that was something that was quite contentious. So so what's going on there is 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 there some kind of pushback against this sort of data sharing then? I don't know if it's pushback. It's it's. A conversation that needs to be had, and the the concept. If if we if we just sort of pause and reflect on where we are today in terms of consumers being able to share data, how they do that today is is either, you know, I log into my internet banking service and I download something or I download a PDF of my statement and then I give that to someone or I attach it to an application, or I use a screen scraping service and and that's kind of automated somehow. And, and there isn't really anything else. And and in all of those, there is no real explicit consent being provided by the consumer for that sharing. It's, a, it's an action. So CDR brings this very explicit consent. I would like to share this information with this third party for this purpose, for this duration. And so when it comes to joint accounts, um, what we've noticed because we've been active since July last year is there is a little bit of friction in that process under the current rules. And that's because under the current rules, the other party in a joint account has to switch on or enable that joint account data to be shared. So even if one party wants to share it, they can't unless the other party has switched that capability on with their bank. So in a loan application, which is our use case, someone will fill their loan application, they'll get to the kind of data sharing piece, and then all of a sudden that joint account's not there, and they have to quickly get on the phone to their partner and, oh, can you just jump into internet banking and switch that on? You know, Meanwhile, of course, that person's in the supermarket or doing something else, and the session time's out, and my loan application didn't end very well. So, So we're trying to get comfortable that defaulting that switch on, that switch, that toggle for joint account parties, for all joint account parties, is something that could be done without compromising the security and the privacy and, and of that individual's data. So that's the debate at the moment. I've tried to position it neutrally there. Uh, obviously, we have a view. But um, I'm, that, that again, that conversation is being had openly on GitHub. It's a consultative process, and, and I'm treasure are due to um, make a determination on that very shortly. And hopefully, we'll we'll find a way that helps consumers. I think that's what we need to remember here. We're doing this to deliver the best possible consumer outcome, and that that of course includes privacy, confidentiality of information, but it also includes providing a genuine alternative to screen scraping and other other mechanisms that's that's efficient and convenient. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that, actually. Um, I'm sure you'll keep us informed. Um, and I know you mentioned at the top of this podcast about Regional Australia Bank being kind of consumer owned. So consumers really are at the heart of everything you do. So how have you um, communicated with with your sort of customers about CDR, you know, data sharing specifically, and, and what, what's been the kind of response from them, I suppose? Yeah, we've, it, it's actually really hard because we're back to that plumbing problem again of, of if we haven't got 
a value, a service to deliver something in exchange for them providing consent. It's it's very hard to, to tell someone to do something or use some service. But what we found, it comes back to the, the interesting attitude that some institutions have. Some, some institutions will view as a, as a bank, um, CDR as a compliance obligation. And, and we've never viewed it as a compliance obligation. And I think that was, that was the right thing to determine early on. So we viewed it strategically as beneficial to consumers. And, and I'll explain why. So Regional Australia Bank doesn't have a personal financial management app or any, any sort of budgeting capability in its online banking app. But one of the early data recipients, Frollo, does. That's, that's their use case. And those use cases would, would exist in the UK too. And what we realise is, well, if we publish consumer data through CDR, then our consumers can sign up for that service with Frollo, take advantage and all of a sudden they've got a PFM app and Regional Australia Bank didn't have to build it, didn't have to create it. We're not directly endorsing any one product or service, but we're saying if our customers want to take advantage of these products, they can and we're confident that they can do that and their data remains safe and confidential and secure. So 10, 100, 1,000 similar applications or services available to our customers is is enriching the opportunity for those customers. And, and Regional Australia Bank doesn't have to build direct integration, doesn't have to build data feeds, doesn't have to support and maintain interfaces other than just this one consumer data right integration point. So it, for us, it seems if we genuinely care about our customers having the best possible financial products and services, then we should actually be pro CDR and we should be pro publishing their data with, with their consent. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because I recently spoke to Nathan Kinch for uh, this very podcast series and uh, I know that you and Nathan had worked together before, you're, you're good friends, uh, and a lot of what he talked about was um, about data and, and trust in, the, in that podcast. So um, uh, he obviously worked with, with you at Regional Australia Bank on, on CDR and better disclosure, I believe. So was that quite a, a priority then? when it came to that, you know, sort of building trust into uh, everything that you developed uh, and making sure that um, consumers could trust uh, regional Australia Bank? Yeah, it was great. I mean, so Nathan's company, Greater Than Experience, yes, we engaged with them on a, a piece that doesn't sound very exciting. We, we wanted to, uh, under the rules, we needed to have a thing called a consumer data right policy, a CDR policy. Um, and, and I remember the conversation early on with, with governance and legal when we determined that, well, we have to create one. And they were sort of, All right, right, we've got that. That's that's a policy. We do policies. And and I'd been talking with Nathan and, and we said, oh, can we, can we not do one of those policies? Can we do something that actually communicates effectively? Can we design something that helps consumers understand what we're doing with CDR? So we, we did, we designed a policy, we designed a, an experience. Uh, it all sounds very alien to a bank that um, we would do this, but we did. So we don't have a big wall of text telling you in this very defensive attitude, protecting the bank, um, what you must do and we must do and your obligations and ours. And if it all goes wrong, it's all someone else's fault. So we don't do one of those with CDR. We're very transparent. Um, 
and we explain how CDO works simplistically, but it's layered. It uses a number of design techniques to try and provide information to, to readers in a way that they can readily consume. So, so sort of high level points and then you can dive a bit deeper if you want and a bit deeper. And we use visuals and we use all kinds of design techniques to, to convey this message and this information. So it's available online. You can go to regionalaustraliabank.com.au slash our CDR policy and have a look at it. It's, it's under the rules. We have to have a static version as well as a PDF, but there's an interactive policy. And it was, it was great fun designing that with Nathan and the team there. And we really enjoyed it and we learned a lot. And in fact, we learned so much that our legal and governance team are now applying those same principles to all of our documentation, our privacy statements, our loan contracts, because it's been recognised that it it not only is much more pleasant to read and people do actually engage with them and read with them. They don't have this. Nathan would have talked about the agreement bypass bias, I'm sure. Um, you know, we don't encounter that as much now. And we actually have a, a, a rating at the end of the CDR policy where people can rate the policy out of five, which again is really weird, isn't it? Who would rate a bank policy? But our, I think our current rating is 4.87. And that's pretty weird for a bank, a policy that people are reading and actually like and enjoy and gave a 4.87 out of five rating to. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's a rarity, um, but uh, it's really interesting that you took that approach, actually, and and that it's been um, adopted more widely at the bank. I mean, that's that's quite a big step, isn't it, for for a bank to take? It is. There are a couple of other banks should should give them a shout out because uh, National Australia Bank NAB they've done something similar in the last year for their credit card terms and conditions and Bank West, which is the the WA subsidiary of Commonwealth Bank, the largest bank here, they've done something similar as well on one of their products. So we're starting to see more and more of that agreements that consumers can understand and read. They don't have um, as much cognitive load when they're trying to process them and. I think it's it's well known that people just don't read these agreements. They scroll through and find the tick box and go. And and I think once you know that they don't read, and we do know that, then really it's um, incumbent on us to to find a better way of communicating those terms and conditions so people understand what it is they're they're about to commit to. And in the in the case of a home loan or a personal loan, that's a fairly big financial commitment, and and we have an obligation to make sure people understand what what they are signing up to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we've spoken quite a bit about Regional Australia Bank so far. We've also talked a lot about data sharing, uh, expecting consumers to share their data. But I was wondering whether um, with, with your experience of, of, sort of open banking implementation at RAB, have you used any of those experiences, shared them with other banks, being kind of collaborative in, in that sense? Yes, we have. Um... We're, we're good at sharing. We, it, I think it's part of our DNA as a customer-owned bank, so we share a lot. So we shared the CDR policy. We shared all of our wireframes for our initial use case, so other people trying to build a, a data recipient application could see how someone had interpreted those rules, those design standards and CX guidelines. So we shared all of those, and we wrote, we, we wrote a bit of software called is a gateway, a data recipient gateway to plug into the CDR ecosystem. So every every data recipient would need to do something similar. They would need to connect to the register and the other data holders and handle tokens and certificates and do all of that kind of boilerplate stuff that, that you just need to do to plug in. 
Um, so this data recipient gateway, which we called Dr. G, um, is, was did that thing. That was its purpose. And it abstracted all of that complexity and allowed us to quickly build an application which could then connect to CDR. And we've since built another application really quickly using Dr. G, which demonstrates the value of that model. So we, we decided to open source that. And when we have, so it's available for anyone for free, uh, even under a commercial license, they can use it. And we did that because it would be silly if everyone who was participating in CDR was to waste time building this thing that we'd already built. And it would be better if we shared that and others could improve it and we could have build a community around this kind of just piece of piece of technology that that's a commodity service. It's there's no value, there's no differentiation in service delivery. It's just part of the plumbing. So that's that's been a great thing to do. That was quite interesting, as you can imagine, um, getting permission within a bank to, to to write some software and then give it away. Um, but that again was a really interesting piece of work to do, and it's been really beneficial. And hopefully, it, it, it accelerates the ecosystem participation. That's our intent, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, and presumably, you know, um, part of the reason that uh, data sharing is sort of being encouraged, as it were, is is I guess to help banks and fintechs be able to use that data to help in in the build and design of, of products that actually consumers need and and want. So how are you how are you finding that, uh, Rab? Has that led to some some interesting kind of product development? Would you say? Yeah, we we we've still got our initial use case which we're refining and we're applying that to home lending so that we can we can take some of that do the heavy lifting in the loan application process. We're not we're not trying to get to a point where people just tap something and they get a home loan. That's not our model. We're a relationship bank, so we're we're trying to create capacity for a human conversation about someone's financial needs. That's that's quite different from, from some fintech companies. It's not it's not right or wrong, it's just different. So we're using technology to create capacity. And then our our lending specialists will will properly understand someone need someone's needs and make sure they've got the right product. But being a customer owned bank again with that very strong customer ethos um, and we touched on it earlier around vulnerable customers maybe and and the unbanked and and those types of people we've got a real keen interest in in helping progress that agenda so we think and and i think i've seen some really interesting use cases pop up in the uk now where your your market's obviously much more mature than ours around applications that'll help develop financial literacy or improve someone's credit score or someone who might be in a a controlling financial relationship and how they can kind of budget and build their way out of that relationship and, and stand on their own two feet. So we, we see some real, you know, building financial resilience, some some great applications that are very relevant to our market and, and where we want to play that we hope we can, we can really start to evolve and develop here in Australia. So I think that's where we want to go. We want to, we want to get all the efficiencies and, and create, create that human capacity for that human conversation and then help help those sectors of um, consumers that perhaps don't fit within the mainstream banking model, the ones that'll be under the bell curve. We kind of live, live in the outliers a little bit and see if we can do some good work there. 
Yeah, and and it's interesting that you say, obviously, in the UK, you've been looking to the UK rather a little bit at what, at what we've been doing in that area. And so it's going to be exciting to see, you know, what, what comes out of Australia in that sense, because, um, you know, I guess each kind of set of consumers has, has their own issues. But it, it sounds like um, there's a lot of potential there and a lot of kind of exciting opportunities. And really, it's it's all about sort of the consumer over there. You know, that's that's who you're, you're putting first. Right? Yeah, it is. I mean, we, we're we've bitten off a lot. It's time will tell whether that was a crazy thing to do. Um, you know, just creating rules that apply across sectors of the economy is is challenging and not being too prescriptive in those rules so that they can apply to other sectors, other verticals, other industries. Um, I don't know, but I, I think it's a great principle to have adopted early, and I, and I, I think it's the right way to go. And I'm, and we're hearing from other jurisdictions now that that that's something they're considering. I know the UK is now talking about broadening open banking to other other sectors. So yeah, we'll see. I, yeah. I think I think it's great. We just have to um, see where we are. Maybe we'll we'll check in a little in a little while and see how it went. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And uh, uh, I guess we've probably covered off Australia pretty thoroughly now, the Australian market. So thank you so much, Rob, for joining me for for talk, taking us through that. And it's it's great to hear what you're doing. It's regional Australia banks specifically, obviously, but also more widely uh, where Australia is at on, on this journey. And uh, yeah, great to have you with us. Thank you, Rob. No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Ellie. Not at all. And uh, before we sign off for today, uh, as I said, I did speak to Nathan Kinch for an earlier episode of the Unplugged series. So go to the on-demand page on openbankingexpo.com. Bye for now. <laughs>